that really in the Bible? You live in a world where everyone has an opinion about the Bible. Of what values are your beliefs if they are not clearly found in the pages of your Bible? The question we must ask is, are your opinions and beliefs really found in the Bible? Hello, I'm David Freeman with, is that really in the Bible? How many of you believe that you are more merciful than God? Yeah, how many of you believe that you are more merciful to God? I'm going to prove to you right now that many of you do believe that you are more merciful than God. All right, let me prove it like this. How many of you, if you were God, would destroy people in a lake of fire for all of eternity? Not just uh, destroy for one hour, but for the next 10 million years, you would see to it that this person burns and burns and burns and burns and never yet quite burns up. You would torture this person for all of eternity. Just think about someone that's really bad. Maybe think of someone, I don't know, Hitler or someone like that. Someone responsible for killing a lot of people or a mass murderer or someone like that. If you had the ability, if you had the power to do it, would you torture them for all of eternity? You know, many of you would say, no, I wouldn't do that. Now, now there might be some people I would like to put out of their misery, but if I were God, I would not, you know, torture people for all of eternity. So I've just proven that, you know, here's a fundamental concept among Christians of the idea, of the idiotic idea that God can never be revenged and that he would torture people by burning them in a lake of fire for all of eternity. Boy, I tell you, I, some of the belief systems that are in our society, first of all, this concept is an absolute lie. You've been lied to about the Bible. What you think is in the Bible is not even in there. It's not in the book. And this is one of the biggest lies that's ever been passed down to a thinking or non-thinking group of people. Now, I'm not saying that there is no hell. There will be a hellfire out into the future, but it will destroy people, simply put. Destroy, just like you throw a piece, of people, a piece of fire, piece of paper in a fire, let me get this right, just like you would take a piece of paper, throw it in the fire, it burns up, it ceases to exist. That's the kind of hell that I believe in. Now let's just take a look at this while we're on the subject, Romans 6 and verse 23. Let's look at this lie that you've been told all of your life. It says, the wages of sin, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now again, I said you've been lied to about the Bible. This is what you've been taught. You've been taught that the wages of sin, what you earn for sinning, is eternal life in a place called hell. That's what you've been taught. Yeah, you live forever, but you live forever in a place called hell hell while you're being tormented and tortured all of, uh, for all of eternity. Now, I've met people that actually liked that idea, you know, at least thought they did. They say, yeah, me and the devil, I, I, we're going to live forever together, you know. People have the dumbest concepts lodged in their pea brain head. I tell you they do. 
But uh, I, like I said, I've met people that have actually said that. Now, what gives hell its power? First of all, what gives hell its power is a lie. It's the concept, it's the teaching of the immortality of the soul. In other words, the teaching goes something like this. There is something inside of you that is immortal, that lives on, that can't be destroyed. And so when you die, your immortal soul has to go somewhere. If it's good, it goes to heavenly retirement. Boy, isn't that exciting. Yeah, heavenly retirement. All right. But if it's bad, it goes to hell. And it burns, and that's why it burns and burns and burns, but it cannot be burned up because it's, according to the concept, the false concept, it's immortal. It can't be destroyed. And that's why it never burns up in hell. All right. Now, you know God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. But again, this concept of repaying by, you know, a God that's never revenged. A God that just can't, I can't get no satisfaction. God, you know, and stones must have something in common there. God can't get any satisfaction. And so he burns people for all eternity. It's a faulty foundation. It's a lie, and it's based on what gives hell its power is the teaching of the immortality of the soul. It was the first lie Satan ever told. Yeah, that's right. Eve came to Satan, you know, and, and, said, and Satan said, look, has God said you can't eat of all these trees? And the woman said, oh, we can eat all but that one. And the day that we eat of it, we're going to die. And Satan says, you shall not surely die. What is that? It's immortality. Look, there's something about you that lives on. You're not going to die. The first lie Satan ever told is the teaching of the immortality of the soul. Now, where did the idea come from? Well, I just told you. It came from, first of all, it's the first lie Satan ever told. All right. But a lot of cultures have carried on this idea of the immortality of the soul. The Egyptians have their version of it. Uh, you know, uh, nearly all cultures have a, a version of the immortality of the soul, that something lives on after death about you. Okay. But uh, one of the uh, teachers of it was Plato and Socrates. They speculated about the state of the dead. They wanted to believe that something about themselves lived on. Okay. Now, there is a spirit in man and the Bible clearly says that that spirit returns to God who gave it. But that spirit is not a conscious spirit. It's your spiritual DNA. It's what makes you, you. And when you die, it goes back to God who gave it. But it's not conscious of anything. How do I know that? Well, because your Bible says the spirit without the body, the body without the spirit is dead. Okay. So when you disconnect body and spirit, it results in a condition called death, all right? Oblivious to the passage of time. You're not aware of anything, all right? Now, let's take a look at what the Bible says about your, your soul, the immortality of the soul. It says, first of all, did you know those words are not in there, immortal soul? Nowhere in your Bible, but let's take a look at what the Bible says about God. First Timothy 6 and verse 16, it says, who only has immortality, Dwelling in the lights, which no man can approach unto. You know, that's fascinating. If, if the Bible says that God only has immortality, what does that tell you about yourself? Well, 
Do we need to think any further about this? It says that God only has immortality right now. Now, immortality is something that we are seeking for. It's something that we want because we all want to live forever. All right. But it's not something, it's something that's going to be given to us, not now, but at the resurrection. Now, get that. Yes, we should want immortality. We should seek immortality because we all want to live forever. But it's something that's going to be given to us at the resurrection from the dead. All right. Ezekiel 18 and verse 4, let's go back to this idea of the soul and immortal souls. It says, Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also, also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sins, it shall die. Huh. Did you know that souls can die? Well, right there it says, it says the soul that sins, it shall die. So if it can die, guess what? It's not immortal. Right? Can't hear you. Right? Okay. All right. Let's look at the resurrection chapter. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 53. It says, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal, notice that, underline that, this mortal must put on immortality. Do you know what that word mortal means? It means you're subject to death. It's the exact opposite of the immortality of the soul. It says, This mortal, what we are now, must put on immortality. Well, when? When does this happen? Well, let's continue on. So when? This corruptible has put on in, incorruption, and this mortal, what we are now, shall put on immortality, then, and only then, shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Now, the teaching is so simplistic. We will be given an immortal soul, not now, you don't have it right now, but we will be given immortality, an immortal soul, at the return of Christ when he raises the first fruits, when he raises the dead in Christ, that's when you're going to have an immortal soul. I mean, let me, have you ever been to a funeral? Does it make any sense, you know, you hear the preacher and he, he, inside the service he will say, that person in that casket is not there. And you feel like saying, well, let me check and see. You know, oh, sure, there they are. You lied to me. No, they're in heaven right now, meaning their soul is in heaven right now. Then you get out to the graveside, and the same man, same preacher, will say, will preach the resurrection from the dead, the verse I just read. The trump shall sound, and the dead in Christ, and this mortal must put on immortality. So if you're a thinking person, and you're probably not, most people do not think, Especially when it comes to issues of God and religion. They just refuse to think. But if you were a thinking person, you would say, wait a minute. You just told me that person was in heaven with the Lord. And now you're telling me they're waiting for the resurrection. They're in the grave waiting for the resurrection. Which is it? Which, which, which one? Which way do we go here? Oh boy, I tell you. It's just it's so much confusion out there. I don't know if I have time here but to explain this, but the, uh, I, let me explain what you believe that you probably don't even know. What religious people believe is that, okay, here, here's the theory. All right, when you die, because you have the, uh, the, the false concept of the immortal soul, it goes to heaven, but it doesn't have a body. 6,000 years without a body, imagine that. All right, then when Christ returns, that disembodied soul must come back and get a body. That's the reason you need the resurrection. 
That's how the theory goes. Now, none of that is in the Bible. None of it. No, the Bible says God only has immortality, and you will be given immortality at the resurrection. Okay, now let's get back to this hell thing. All right, do I believe in a real hell? Yes, I do. Let's take a look at the hell I believe in. 2 Peter 3 and verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works there that are therein, shall be burned up. Now this is what I call the real hell fire. Because it's a time period out into the future when once everybody is given their chance for salvation, which includes a first and a second resurrection, then the earth is going to be destroyed and melt with fervent heat. And anything left on that earth that is vile, that is repugnant, that is sinful, will be destroyed when the earth melts with fervent heat. No more will they exist, okay? All right, so that's the hell I believe in. It's a little bit more powerful because it totally destroys the sinner. Now, is this taught in your Bible that God will destroy sinners? Let's take a look. Malachi 4 and verse 1. For behold, the day comes that shall burn as an oven. Ooh, what's that? That's hot. Man, that's hot. That's when the earth will melt with fervent heat. And the proud, yea, and all the wicked, that do wickedly shall be stubble, and the day that cometh shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. All right, let's skip on down to verse 3. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. In the day that I shall do this, says the Lord of hosts. So ashes. No, there's no immortal ashes, okay? That's the description being destroyed when this event occurs out into the future. All right. But again, understand, this real hellfire will not take place until everyone who has lived and existed will have at least one chance for salvation. Now let's take a look at when that one chance may be. When that one chance may be. Revelation 20 verse 5. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to your preacher and say, I want to hear a sermon on Revelation 20 and verse 5 about the rest of the, of the dead. I want to know who, who are these rest of the dead. I mean, I want to hear a sermon because it's in the Bible. You know, and I've never heard anything about a sermon given on Revelation 20 and verse 5. And because it's in the Bible, it has to be relevant. But the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. Who are these rest of the dead? Do me a favor and ask your preacher to preach a sermon on the rest of the dead. All right. Well, who are the rest of the dead? Paul Harvey talks about the rest of the story. Well, who's the rest of the dead? Well, let's consider some things. How about the missionary? On his way to Uganda, Africa, he has a flat tire. He doesn't get to the little village to meet with the little girl to sing, yes, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And so she's, she doesn't get saved. And she dies of AIDS before he gets there. What happens to her? When does she get a chance for salvation? What about all the people before Jesus' time? Before Jesus walked this earth, when did they get a chance for salvation? What about the flood? Now, I'm not sure everybody who died in that flood heard Noah's message of repentance. I mean, the boat was built right there, but I'm not sure if everybody heard it. 
But what about all those who were destroyed? When do they get a chance for salvation? And what about Uncle Bob? Uncle Bob is a good old guy. He just didn't care about religion. He didn't give a rip about religion. He didn't care. He just, he thought all religious people were hypocrites. And sometimes I can see why. But, but he just didn't care for religion. But he was a good-hearted guy. When does he get a chance for salvation? When do all of these people get their chance for salvation? You know, only about 20% of the world's population even remotely identifies themselves as Christian. Now, I know in America you think everybody's Christian because you live in America. But I'm talking about the world's population. Only about 25% even identify themselves with being Christian. All right, using traditional Christian teaching as a guideline that you're either saved or lost, it would seem that God the Father and Christ the Son are losing about 80% of the world's population. Is that what you believe? Well, that's what you're teaching. That's what your church probably teaches. That, that God is losing about 80% of the world's population. You know, I, you know what I think you believe? I think you believe that no, God's going to work it out some way. And you're right. That's a, you're exactly right. God is going to work it out. And I'm trying to explain to you how God's going to work it out. If you will listen. All right. Now, Paul was deeply concerned about a particular group of people called the, the Israelites, the Jews, that had rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And he was struggling with this because they had rejected Christ as the Messiah. He was worried about their destiny. What happens to them? When will they get a chance? People that reject Christ. Will they ever get a chance? Because these people, the Jews, they just didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. You know, they were, they're still looking for him to, to return. And uh, they were expecting a conquering king to set up his kingdom right then and there. And uh, also many of them had their own method of achieving righteousness through the oral law uh, uh, or the tradition of the elders. That's sort of how they achieved their righteousness. And so they didn't need a Messiah. So Paul's concerned about these people. And he says in, in Romans 11 and verse 1, he says, I say then, has God cast away his people? God forbid. For I am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people which he foreknew. All right, God's got a way to work it out. What is the way God's going to work it out? We'll continue on to verse 5. Even so, then, at the present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. All right, there's a remnant right now. God is calling a first fruit right now. He's not calling everybody right now. One of the reasons some people are just not interested in religion is because God's not calling them right now. He is calling an election, a first fruit, right now. And if you understood anything about the day of Pentecost, you would understand what I'm saying. All right, let's continue on. And if by grace then it is no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise works is no more work. Now, again, these people actually viewed themselves as the ones that rejected Christ as their Messiah. They looked at it, they didn't need Jesus. You know, that's sort of how, because they had what was referred to as the oral law, the tradition of the elders, 
The oral law was fence building around the law of God. Okay? You had the law of God, which is very simplistic, the Ten Commandments. But the oral law consisted of rules and regulations on how to keep the Ten Commandments. For example, the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a very simplistic commandment. It's basically take a day of vacation off every seventh day. But the oral law said, and this was their makeup, this is what they came up with, said on the Sabbath you could walk this far, but if you walked that far, you were sinning. Uh, the oral law said you could pick a few grapes off the vine, but if you picked a cluster, that was sinning. And so they had all these rules and regulations built around the law of God, and that's how they achieved their righteousness, was through the oral law, or the tradition of the elders as referred to by Jesus. And that's how, it was, it was a salvation of works. It really was. And if they kept that oral law perfectly, and kept every nuance, and didn't break a point here or there, they could achieve their own righteousness. At least that's what they thought in their mind. Okay, so that's why they didn't need Jesus. They had their oral law. All right. Continuing on in verse 7. What then? Israel has not obtained that which he, uh, he seeks for, but the election has obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Yes, if God blinds your eyes, there's nothing you can do to see. You're temporarily blinded by God. All right. He goes on, he continues on in verse 11. He says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. Notice they haven't stumbled in order to be burned up in hell, but rather through their fall salvation is coming to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. All right, have they stumbled that they should fall? Have they stumbled, Paul is saying, questioning, that they should just, their destiny is just to be burnt in hell for all eternity. He says, God forbid. God forbid. God forbid. Notice verse 15. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? Now that gives you the answer as to how God is going to work it out. These Jews that had rejected Jesus as their Messiah. He says, what, how is God going to receive them back? Except, notice this verse again, notice that last statement, look at it closely, but life from the dead. What is life from the dead? It is a resurrection. It's the second resurrection. But the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. That's, that's what life from the dead, this is a reference to the second resurrection. Now the problem we have today is this. The Jews are not the only ones who have rejected Christ as their Messiah. You know all kinds of people who are just not interested in religion, don't you? And you worry about them, and they are family members, and they are people that you love, and they are people that you care for, and there are people that you're concerned about who have lived and died, and you knew they weren't really Christian at all. God has an answer. But the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. You see, all is not lost. All is not lost. I want to look at verse 32 here. This verse was one of the most mind-boggling, eye-opening verses that I've ever been hit with. It says, For God has concluded them all in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable 
are his judgments and ways past finding out. God has concluded them in unbelief, temporarily, that he might have mercy upon all in the resurrection, in the second resurrection. God can deliberately blind people. He's just not working with them right now. He's not dealing with them right now. He can, in his mercy, blind people in order, you know, to have mercy on them at a later time. He can conclude them, blind their eyes, in order to have mercy at a later time. You know, John 6 and verse 44 says this. It says, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. At the last day. Now I want to offer you something here. A little book that explains more in detail what I'm talking about. Entitled, If God So Loved the World, Why Are So Many People Going to Hell? Because I already discussed, according to fundamental, you know, basic mainstream Christianity, evidently 80% of the world's population is going to burn in hell. That's not true. This little booklet will explain a lot more in detail. Just, you know, I've just gone, I've just hit the, the high notes here of what's in this book. It explains more about how God will work it out. That God has a plan to give everybody an opportunity for salvation according to his timing. Not yours, not your preacher, not the church's timing, but according to God's timing. He has a plan to give everyone an opportunity for salvation according to God's timing. You need this booklet, I'll send it to you free of charge. It's a powerful little booklet that will really turn you on to some good stuff here. All right, so no man can come to me unless the Father draw him. That's what your Savior plainly says. And you know, we have to believe that about God. We have to believe that concerning about people that we are concerned about, you know, that we want to, uh, them to, you know, maybe they don't care about religion at all. And your script, your Bible says, Jesus said, no man can come to me unless the Father draw him. And that drawing, and the time that Jesus will draw many unto him will be in the second resurrection. And that's what's really in your Bible. Traditional Christian teachings about hell would consign at least 80% or more of humanity straight to an eternal and never-ending torment in an ever-burning hell when they die. Is this really the action of a just and merciful God? Order your free copy of If God So Loved the World, Why Are So Many People Going to Hell? If you have ever been concerned about the spiritual condition of a lost loved one, then you need to read this book. You will come to understand that God truly is a merciful, compassionate God that will give everyone a chance for salvation according to His timing. Order by writing to Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, 
Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. Also, check us out on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.com.